Hello and welcome to the Investors Chronicle Companies and Market Show. I am John Human, editor of the Investors Chronicle, joined today by Harriet Russell. How are you doing, Harriet? Yeah, good, thanks. Big news this week. Mm-hmm. Huge news this week. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Broke on the weekend. Usefully. Of course. <laughs> absolutely. Um, and Megan Boxer, how are you doing, Megan? I'm very well, thank you, John. And, you, and you've written today, uh, this week, in fact, about uh, M&A as well. I have. Big news on the... Lots uh, of M&A at the moment. Big news generally, but specifically, pharma, M&A could be about to step up a gear as well. Exactly. Okay, that's pretty much what we're going to focus on today. Obviously, there's loads in the magazine, including a feature written by you, Megan, which we will kind of refer to, I assume, as we come out of the uh, pharma M&A discussion. Yep. But let's talk first up about Sainsbury's, because this is huge. If people hadn't been totally satisfied by one mega merger in grocery, um, it turns out we've got a second in potentially fairly quick succession. The news is, of course, that Sainsbury's and Asda have been working for a year to put this uh, this, this potential merger. Merger, yeah. I mean, it's, Sainsbury's uh, will be the majority owner if you sort of want to look at it in that context. And, I mean, it's interesting that uh, this will make them the biggest grocery retailer in the UK. Let's start by first saying that the shares went ballistic. Yeah, I mean, they went up by a fifth in response um, automatically. So. Still climbing? Uh, they, a couple of days, I know, a couple of days in they were still climbing. Yeah, they were, had sort of, um, the official results were released yesterday, although the company um, was obviously breaking this merger news only four days before those results were due. So they had already kind of had to give out a pro forma set of unaudited numbers alongside the merger news. So mm-hmm. there weren't many surprises. But even so, yesterday with the uh, with the results out officially, um, the, the shares were actually down 1.5% um, by market close. So you could argue that there's maybe been a bit of stagnation now and that the sort of initial froth is kind of stationary. Yeah. Okay, so let, let's go back to the beginning. Sainsbury's um, obviously has been struggling like many in the retail, the grocery retail sector. Tesco has got together with Booker, which has given their shares a bit of a boost this year. Sainsbury's presumably felt it had to do something in response. Why this? Yeah, it's a great question because for me, I mean, I've almost preceded this entire segment by saying one mega merger followed by another. But in my view, they're actually quite different deals. Um, as much as they both build enormous scale for those combined businesses, I look at Tesco and Booker much more as a vertical deal um, in terms of obviously combining traditional retail with wholesale. They now command an awful lot of that supply chain sort of back to front. Whereas Sainsbury's to me is a much more horizontal deal. It's literally about retail scale. Um, It has the same sort of implications for suppliers because it gives them pricing power in the way that Tesco would have added pricing power too from their booker tie up. Um, But essentially, it's it is a different way of doing it. And obviously, Tesco for a long time has been Britain's largest supermarket. And if this deal with Sainsbury's and Asda goes through, that will no longer be the case. So I do see it as a direct response to that Tesco Booker deal. It's kind of going like going back to the old days. Sainsbury's for many years was the biggest supermarket retailer in the UK. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think Tesco overtook it 70s, 80s? Yeah, round about then. I mean, Tesco has been the largest market share for a long time. So um, it, it is a direct response to that, I think. Okay, so so we talked about the CMA. Well, have we talked about CMA? I can't remember. No, not really. But, um, I mean, the CMA, this Competition Markets Authority, Yeah, there was some uh, surprise when Tesco was able to get its takeover. I mean, it took a while, but its, its takeover of Booker 
really went through without too many hiccups in competition regulation terms. Absolutely. They never, um, they didn't really even specify what a lot of the analysts had been expecting, which was that um, Booker in particular might have to siphon off its retail kind of arm to convenience. Convenience, yeah. Yeah. Well, much more convenience. Um, Because Tesco obviously has a huge Tesco Express convenience estate of its own. So that's where the analysts saw major overlap and they thought that that would be the natural thing for the competition authority to say, siphon off that and it can can go through. But Booker has to really... Um, rein itself back in to be a pure wholesaler in order for it to happen. Um, But it didn't. And at the time of the announcement, there was an awful lot of objection from smaller suppliers and um, smaller retailers as well, saying this is ridiculous. But nonetheless, it was given the green light and it it now exists. Do do you think, so you referred to the fact that that was what you described as a, a vertical deal? Sainsbury's as there's a horizontal deal do you think we should be perhaps more worried that the CMA will take a, a, a much more um, in-depth look at, at this potential deal scrutinize it much more deeply because it's because it's all within one as you say horizontal is that the big difference here yes in my opinion it is and it's also a simpler deal I think for the regulator to understand because it's horizontal it's as you say it's all in one sphere of influence um and for them, it would be a very standard. It's almost uh, reminiscent of when I used to cover Cineworld and they did that picture house deal, um, which was the regulator came up with a number of disposals. Cineworld did them and lo and behold, the deal goes through. And I suspect that might be the case. I don't think it won't go through. OK, that's interesting. But there will probably be some <laughs> I think uh, disposals be... as a result of, of, of CMA scrutiny. I think there will be more ramifications than there were with Tesco Booker because of its vertical nature. This being more horizontal, I think it's easier for the CMA and much more reasonable for them to say, look, this is very obvious where there's an Asda source superstore here, there's a Sainsbury superstore right here, one of them has to go. But the overlap is not that great as far as I understand it because Asda is, you know, its heartland is the north, Sainsbury's heartland is the south. Exactly. So it probably won't be widespread, but I, I certainly know of areas down south, um, particularly near where I live, where there is an Asda superstore next to a Sainsbury's superstore. So it's not impossible that there is overlap. But you're right, Asda has more concentration in the north, Sainsbury's has more concentration in the south. And so you're unlikely to see huge amounts of disposals. But I can't believe the CMA is going to just wave this through with no ramifications. Already, there's been more noise than there was around Tesco Booker, particularly from suppliers. But that said, the market's reaction suggests that they're not, you know, investors generally are not that concerned that that the uh, demands of the CMA are going to be that great? Not so far, no. It's starting to gather pace. Even this morning, I've seen um, suppliers are starting to band together to draw up petitions for the CMA. I don't know how closely the Uh, regulators are going to listen to that. So it's the suppliers that are worried rather than the consumers, because I think Mike uh, Coop um, was essentially, who was caught, as it happened, singing, (laughs) we're in the money, which obviously to to much amusement, um, but not among the suppliers who who are very worried that they won't be in the money. They're worried they're going to get squeezed to to allow Sainsbury's Asda, if it were to combine, to push through promised price cuts of 10%, I think he was talking about. Yeah, I mean, this has been Mike Coop's thing, even from a Sainsbury's solo perspective, for a long time, is price investment. And it has been necessary because Sainsbury's sits in a very awkward part of the market in terms of grocery retail. It's right in the middle. um, And we've referred to the squeeze middle for years, ever since the arrival of the discounters really forced that. So price investment is an inevitable consequence of making Sainsbury's more competitive. 
Um, and Asda obviously is known for low prices and competitive prices. So that's been its slogan for a long time. So I don't, I wasn't surprised by that. But yeah, you're right. In order to make that a reality, I think I read a quote from a supplier um, a couple of days ago that said they just have no idea where Mike Coop thinks that this is going to come from. I think he might have an idea where it's going to be. (laughs) Well, exactly. Um, You know, they're going to, potentially these suppliers are going to lose massive contracts if they refuse to play ball. So I really don't see them having much option. Indeed, because we have seen over the years, Tesco has been able to exert significant pressure on on suppliers to to basically do what Tesco wants it to do. Uh, Premier Foods being a very good example. Yeah, and even Unilever. Obviously, no one forgets Marmite Gate in the wake of um, Brexit a couple of years ago. Um, So we're not even talking about minnow suppliers that have no resources or leverage. It's, you know, sometimes it can be massive FTSE 100 companies that are being forced to comply. So I don't, I don't invalidate their concerns, but um, that will be the area in which there is a lot of sort of political rhetoric exchanged, mm. I think. Absolutely. A big employer, the, uh, the the food processing and manufacturing industry in this country. So, yeah, it's politically sensitive too. Yeah. Bearball's written on this as well this week. Um, he's actually looked at a comparison of the uh, profit margins of Sainsbury's. And as the Sainsbury's is much work, pretty much half the margin of that. So and this is quite interesting. Sainsbury's over the years has been... One of its big weaknesses has been that it's, it's not as profitable mm. as some of its rivals. I mean, it's because it's where it sits in the market. It's it's not a trend. I mean, um, Megan and I have just seen this this morning when we've been to visit um, a similar discount retailer. Tell us who it is. Shoe Zone. Shoe Zone. Okay, <laughs> coming soon. Coming out in the podcast. So, yep. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. So tune in for that one. But yeah, it's not it's not a trend that is unusual across discount retail in general, that the margins are actually quite good. There's this myth that the margins should be razor thin because of the low price point. But actually, they're not. Um, so I'm not surprised to see that Asda has much better margin. And I suppose there's an accusation in the same way that um, Tesco was accused of buying in margin improvement through M&A as opposed to doing it yourself organically. Tesco, if people remember, had obviously set huge targets around their operating margin as part of their big recovery plan. And Book has always been a very well-run business with excellent margins. Mm. Um, so there's an argument to say that Tesco hasn't done it themselves. I sort of say, so what? If if a merger makes sense and it's going to deliver the one thing that you've promised shareholders over years and years, then if you can get it past the regulator, why not? Indeed. Okay, so before we get to the million-dollar question is where does this leave our views on shares in the grocery retail sector? I mean, there is a, there is a kind of uh, sort of curveball, and I'm not sure this this merger addresses it, and that is the discounters, mm. the Audis and Lidl's. So we talk about an emerging duopoly, but I think I think it's sort of slightly slightly bending the reality out of shape because you actually have some very aggressive and expansionist um, competitors out there in the form of Audi and Lidl, who's I looked at their market share yesterday, much bigger than it was even two or three years ago. They're going very quickly, and I did a sort of quick survey of the office this morning. We all shop there. We we increasingly love the discounters. Is it you know is this response Sainsbury's as the you know, is it just kind of trying to do more of the same in a bigger way without recognising that, in fact, grocery retail is changing? It's an excellent point. I mean, the retail market is evolving. And a lot of what the analysts were saying around the news of the deal was that this is scale is seems to be Sainsbury's response to what is not only becoming an increasingly discount market, but what is also becoming an increasingly online market. So as Amazon gathers pace and whatnot, I mean, these are, you know, boards that we've tried 100 times. But it seems to be that their natural response is, well, we've done the Argos deal, and that's been integrated well, and it's done what we said it would do. 
And so now what we need to sort of drive that competitive threat, not only to discounters, but also to online is through in large scale. Um, it seems fairly simplistic. In my view, I don't know that it will necessarily work. But that doesn't mean that I don't think it's a good merger. Well, Sainsbury's did, of course, try to get into that discount space with uh, a JV with Netto of uh, Denmark and it it really didn't work. No, it didn't. Um, I think that was almost a bit of a culture clash. I've not really, I mean, in my short history of covering the sector, I've not really seen a, a British grocer try and do sort of a, a massively international sort of um, discount deal, um, which is interesting because obviously the two major discounters in this market are foreign companies. Um, so it's not to say it can't be done, but um, I just don't think the financials really matched up on that um, particularly yeah, it's quite, well. It's kind of weird, though, because these guys are eating the lunch of the grocery retail sector and they can't respond to it other than by massively risky mega mergers, mm. which are hard to integrate. There is massive integration risk. All I would say is that these were the same concerns that were aired when Sainsbury's bought Argos from Home Retail Group. They were saying, God, this is massive because they've bought it for back-end distribution purposes. That's a massive sort of physical integration that has to happen, not just alongside branding and what have you. Um, But it seems to have gone fairly okay. Um, So there's a bit of a track record now established. um, And certainly that was under the tenureship of Mike Coop as well. So So it's possible he's just good at this. Yeah, exactly. He's starting to establish himself with a reputation for this sort of thing. So I wouldn't write that off um, quite so quickly. And also, their bigger one of their biggest competitors, Tesco, is going to be going through integration possibly at the same time. Although, so, quite, although easier potentially to to run Booker and, and Tesco on a standalone basis. Exactly. Even though they're talking about running Sainsbury's and Asda on a standalone basis, if they want to get the synergies out of the supply chain, there has to be more integration at the back end. I agree. Um, but you know, Tesco is going to have to potentially switch over a lot of the to the Booker distribution as well. So that there is a similar sort of back end um, issue there. Um, I agree with you. A vertical a vertical deal is is simpler in its integration process but a horizontal deal is simpler if we're talking about what to get past the regulator indeed okay so let's let's move on to the million dollar question uh where does this leave shares in the sector tesco sainsbury's in fact morris and all of them have had a good run so far this year um obviously there's been some acceleration given what's happened at sainsbury's uh after the booker deal went through morrison seems to be doing very well but is the response that they have so far put together enough to really take them through what's likely to be a, a, cha- a continuing challenging environment? No, in my opinion. I think Tesco and Booker stands the best chance because now the control that they have, as I said, from point A to point B makes them the most sort of independent self-sustainable company in the market. I'm not sure this necessarily gives Sainsbury's um, sort of a huge advantage other than the enlarged scale does make it the biggest. Um, That bit of a margin thing, Yeah. um, The problem with Tesco and Morrison is that if we're looking at them specifically from an investment point of view, A, they were coming from extremely low bases. Mm -hmm. I mean, both of those companies were seriously on the rocks um, four years ago, roughly. In terms of their share price? In terms of their share price. I mean, operationally as well. Obviously, Tesco was coming back from a major accounting scandal and Morrison's was having to, I mean, it just completely cut off its convenience estate chain in one day, basically. Over 100 or so stores at the time. It was massive. And and so, arguably, those share price re-ratings 
are recovery re-ratings. That's what they are. Mm. And a lot of the reason that we didn't buy into them at the time was that the share price was totally reflecting that in the valuation. Both of those stocks were trading well above 20 times for, for most of that time. Tesco had come off last year quite considerably um, whilst people were waiting for the CMA to give Booker the green light. A lot of people thought it might not go through, started to re-rate now that it has, obviously. But again, the price is starting to creep up in terms of valuation. Sainsbury's has always been my favourite because it sort of was doing a lot of stuff organically. It had done the Argos deal, but the valuation on those shares had always remained fairly competitive and the dividend was sort of quite healthy as well. Um, and obviously, Asda was not a listed company, so we, we didn't really get into that massive comparison with those or the discounters. Now... We've obviously moved into neutral until um, the CMA gives us more assurance. Interestingly, what our company's editor, Mark Robinson, said to me yesterday, and I tend to agree with him on this, is that he can't believe they would have announced the details of this deal. As you said, they've been in negotiations for a year if they hadn't already had some sort of assurance from the regulator. Um, it stands to make them all look a bit foolish if mm. the CMA just slaps them down straight away. Um, so they must have an idea of what's coming. Absolutely. But this is not necessarily the answer to the problems that this sector is having. None no. of these mergers. I don't think uh, so. Because... And, you, and you've got to worry about Morrison because they, kind of, they look kind of small, you know, they're distant, distant third they'll end up being after this. Yeah, and their market share is not growing nearly as rapidly, obviously, as Aldi and Lidl. Um, I mean, they've been the fastest market share growers for a number of years now. So, yeah, in terms of competitive advantages, Morrison's looks the weakest. But if people are looking at a share price graph for Morrison's and thinking, well, the IC have said they're the weakest player, but look at this share price accretion, I'm going to say, yeah, that's down to recovery. That mm. that company was on the rocks four years ago, and it's, it's come back from um, near death. That's what you're looking at. Indeed. So it's going to be a, a moving feast, I think, as we uh, as we go ahead. It's going to be a fascinating sector watch to watch. This space. Yeah, watch yeah. this space. Um, potentially more more deals to come. I think so. I mean, consolidation is always sort of a sector's natural response. I think to, to major challenge. <laughs> well, to major <laughs> challenges coming in from much bigger players. Um, and by that, obviously, in this context, I mean Amazon. So um, how it quite solves the idea of an online competitive advantage, I'm not really sure. Um, How about Amazon buys Morrison? Well, Morrison's already has an exclusive supply agreement with Amazon. So it does have a bit of an attitude already of, if you can't beat them, join them. Whether Amazon looks at Morrison and thinks they have enough of a brand differential in the market to make that worth their time. You know, if you look at their Whole Foods deal that they did, that has an obvious brand position in the market that's different to standard supermarkets. But why Amazon would go after Morrison as opposed to other companies although they're now too big possibly to do that i don't really know so watch this space mm. thank you harriet so megan i could see you itching to chip in there you couldn't spot a space we were, we were talking at high speed um but i know you as you, you do when you talk about the supermarkets together as i talk about pretty much everything um but megan you've written about m a this week lots of big deals out there and regulation is the big thing there too yeah it's interesting the, your discussion about regulation because regulation has been stepping up there's been a report from Alan Overy the law firm that in the UK the CMA has been looking at deals more closely in the last few years some of that is pressure from Europe um, some of it is what's compared to what's happening in the US the US is far tighter with their regulation for these mega mergers than than UK regulators are so it's interesting they it it looks like they will be looking at big mergers in a bit more depth than they had been previously and we've got quite a few going on i know there which, you, which you, so talks through uh some of the sort of key key deals going through in the in the piece that you i mean uk 
blue chips, as you as you point out, are are in demand. Yeah, right? they everyone are. wants a piece of the UK, and part of it is because there's high quality there, and it's also because the UK in the last few years has been cheap compared to the rest of the world. And it's but, still the case. And, yeah, still the um, case. And it ended up that we had two big takeover offers on the same day, which has never happened before. Sky and Shire were both approached by foreign investors. And I didn't know that, you know. Yeah. Ne- I did not know that that was the case. The reason I know is because I went through the history of all the all the FTSE 100 takeovers. It was quite a quiet week last week. Uh, it wasn't that quiet, but that's very diligent. <laughs> Thursday but, yeah. was quite quiet. But um, yeah, it's interesting because it's never happened before. And when you look at all the FTSE 100 mergers or takeovers that have happened before, it's it's interesting to see what's happened now and the trends that um, are coming back. We saw similar sort of trends in... 2007, 2008, a lot of the FTSE 100 companies were being approached by foreign companies and it looks like it's happening again. And also, to a greater extent, they're foreign takeovers rather than British takeovers. It used to be that most of the FTSE 100 companies that were taken out were being taken over by fellow British FTSE 100 companies. Now, a far greater proportion is coming from the US and Japan and France and Germany it's a it's an interesting shift. Yeah, so so I mean we talk about regulation, but one of the big um, objections to these kind of foreign takeovers of UK com- large UK companies is political. And uh, yeah. you know politicians love to get involved. We we saw that they got involved in the Melrose GKN yeah. deal that that, uh, that you talk about in the piece here. Shire, I mean you know talking about drug companies, surely massively politically sensitive sky is another company that you mentioned in the piece massively politically sensitive yeah of those two it's interesting that sky actually seems the more politically sensitive of them because sky employs so many people in the uk shire does not and shire's made no secret of the fact that it doesn't really it's not really that interested in the uk anymore it's headquarters are in boston it's domiciled in ireland when abvi tried to buy shire four years ago the uk government didn't really seem that fussed. It was the US government that put a stop to that because they were worried about tax inversion. But with the Melrose GKN deal, they the government sort of had a say in that, even though that was two British companies. And it looks like the same might happen with Sky because Sky employs 30,000 people in the UK. It's a huge contributor to the British creative industry. So they'll probably have something to say about Comcast, massive US company, coming and potentially taking away those jobs. But the, the worry is not so much about jobs. I mean, they're always, the government is always worried about jobs. But the worry here is, I mean, it's, that's not how the arguments against this deal are being presented. For Comcast, it kind of is. Okay. It's, for, it's the 21st century Fox argument, which is very different. So they're worried about media plurality. Fox is mainly owned by the Murdochs at the moment. It's all very complicated because Fox is also in the process of being acquired by Disney. Whether that will go through because of the regulation in the US, we'll see. But the way the British government are looking at it at the moment is that if Sky does end up being 100% controlled by Fox, Fox also, via its other business, News Corp, will have control of too much of the British news industry via its ownership of the Times and the Sun. But Comcast, they're not bothered about... This is literally just a... A geographic acquisition. They want to get then. into Europe. It's so competitive in the TV space. Um, content is also incredibly valuable, and Sky has the best content in Europe in owning the Football League and having access to Game of Thrones in the UK and Europe. That That's hugely valuable to Comcast. And also a channel to broadcast their own shows in 
in Europe when Netflix is doing it to great success. What have they got? What have Comcast got? Yeah. Universal. Okay, so still one that's going to take a while to pan out, I would imagine, given the political oh, 100%. sensitivities. 100%. It's already been over a year Sky has been potentially being taken over for. Now that Comcast has come in as well, that's we've got a long way to run with that one. Yeah, that's the thing about these big deals. They take a while to put, mm. put together. You got a report today. Um, we, we mentioned briefly uh, Shire, which is being looked at by Takeda at the moment, mm-hmm. but... Um, you got a report today which suggests that the political sensitivities in the pharmaceutical space could actually be about to prompt a wave of, uh, of M&A activity there. Yeah, it's really interesting. It's a report from Liberum about the mergers, again, that are happening in the US, mega mergers of insurers and pharmacy benefit managers. And the US, as people know, is an incredibly complex area for healthcare because of all these layers that people go through when they're trying to get their medicine. You go to the doctor, the doctor prescribes your medicine and then you go via your pharmacy benefit manager and insurer to try and get that that drug that you then take it's it's all so complicated and that is one of the reasons that drugs prices in the u.s is so expensive because there are so many layers of that you have to go through before you actually get your drugs so and they're paid for by an insurer yeah so the fact that these pharmacy benefit managers and insurers are potentially merging it could have the impact of bringing the price of drugs down because it takes out a layer of complication and also pharmacy benefit managers work on the behalf of the insurer they're going to be trying to do that far more if the insurer is them so what Librem is suggesting is the mergers that are happening could be bringing the price of primary healthcare so that's your very simple drugs um, asthma treatment things that are more over the counter things that you can get directly from your doctor rather than having to go to a specialist the price of them might be going up, but the price of specialist drugs, which has been just absurd in the last few years, will be forced down. Um, and that's hugely worrying for the pharmaceutical companies, which have invested millions, billions of dollars in specialist drug development in the last few years, which is why they may be having to buy in a better pipeline through M&A activity. Okay, so I mean, you've, you've, got, you've done a piece in the news section saying that UK farmers in need of a tonic. I think this is not a new thing. We've, we've talked about this a yeah. lot. You've also written a, a, an amazing um, finding, the, in fact, the Finding the Cure feature that was pioneered by, by Harriet Russell here, who won a wincot for that. Um, but you've continued that this week looking at autoimmune uh, yeah. diseases, which are much more, I mean, they sound horrible, but they're much more common than you would think. They, yeah. Um, well, autoimmune, yeah, it sounds horrible, but it's things like arthritis, asthma, diabetes. Skin complaints. Yeah, psoriasis. psoriasis. Uh, so these are these are common things um, and a huge market. Mm-hmm. Uh, but but I mean, would, would this be something that potentially would be at risk, uh, an area of treatment that would be at risk from from the the, the uh, M and activity you've mentioned in the US? Yeah, it also means actually a really interesting market to look at in terms of pricing because historically it's been very simple chemical drugs which are relatively easy to produce. I mean, I wouldn't want to have a go at it, but for pharmaceutical companies... Have a go at it. it. <laughs> it's, uh, it's not it's get like, up in the kitchen. Yeah. <laughs> um, but because they're relatively simple, they have, they've been the drugs that the price has been pulled down in the last few years. But these mergers, it may end up that they're being pushed up. It's all very complicated. It's so complicated. This industry is so complicated. (laughs) I don't know how you two have have managed to make sense of it over the years. On the other hand, because the very basic drugs have been very cheap in the last few years, a lot of the pharmaceutical companies 
in the autoimmune space have been investing in very complex specialist drugs which use biotechnology processes which means you're using living cells to create a drug rather than the chemical process Mm -hmm. which is not living cells so a lot of their pipelines and a lot of where they're expecting their future growth to come from is these super duper expensive very very complicated medicines but if they're the ones that are being attacked by the insurer pharmacy benefit manager merger the price of them is going to be brought down. So maybe pharmaceutical companies have been investing in the wrong space in terms of their long-term revenue growth. Do you know what? Warren Buffett, I think it was Warren Buffett that said, you know, once said something about, you know, not, not investing in businesses you don't understand. And the pharmaceutical industry does seem to be going that way. It's so complicated. It's just, it's crazy. Should, should we just not avoid it altogether? Well, I mean, oh, I'm Is, is there that. anything that we should look at and think, yeah, I understand that, we can get that. And, you know, what they do is great, we can make some money from it, or they might become a target for someone else. Yeah, that's something that is good to look at. They might become a target for someone else. With the UK big pharma space, I, f- I wouldn't really look at any of them at the moment. That's the three, that's GSK, Shire and AstraZeneca. We have got AstraZeneca on a buy tip, but... Even that, it's it's highly risky. It's a it's a very blue sky stock. Even though it's a blue chip stock at the moment, it's their share price is almost entirely based on whether or not they're going to be producing any good drug results. That's why, that's a risky investment. Why buy then? Because if they do produce good drug results, the share price is going to fly. Speculative, buy. yeah, speculative. But okay. then GSK, boring, and Shire. <laughs> about to be the Japanese company with I mean, yeah it's worth so making a point as well that when I covered it four years ago even then it was a massively different playing field because actually each of the sort of big four or so it was sort of more of a big six back then had their lanes almost that they were sort of good at and people looked at Shire for rare diseases people looked at GSK for respiratory people looked at AstraZeneca for this like future oncology pipeline and it was all very understandable in terms of the directions they also had massive dividend yields which made them fairly defensible and all of that well a lot of that has sort of gone out the window and it's a, it's a sector in, in massive flux this so. is part is it partly to do with 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 Trump, um, you know the kind of sort of yeah, veiled threats of, he's making towards yeah, the industry. Yeah, there's a lot of talk there. about price changes, regulation again, which yeah, it is creating problems. But as in an industry that's changing so quickly, no one can do the right thing. Everyone's doing it wrong. Sounds like supermarkets. <laughs> <laughs> it's not dissimilar. It's not dissimilar. You know, there are people like GSK who I would say have not have not responded to their business model because of Trump. It's just that they've decided that to take their business in a very different direction into mm. this like consumer volume market, which, you know, is a risk in, into itself, but they see a particular strategy. And when I covered GSK, it, it still had an oncology business. It hadn't even done the asset swap with Novartis. So, um, yeah, massively different times, even in just four short years. Excellent. Okay, thanks, Megan. Uh, thanks, Harriet. I mean, yeah, so we've heard about two industries today in massive flux, and we can't recommend investing in either. <laughs> thanks for listening. Goodbye. <laughs> oh, dear. Uh, yeah, okay. No, thank you, seriously. I mean, yeah, these industries are really difficult to understand, particularly at the moment. You'd think food retailing was easy. Uh, well, I can. I will always remember Stephen's, <laughs> Stephen Wilmot, RX company's editor's parting words to me, which uh, when I changed beat onto retail from healthcare, and he said, oh, the thing about retailers it's easy it's sales costs and profit and i just think i think the first result that i ever had to do is in the retail space was booker and i just thought that is just not, oh, <laughs> not true I, booker, I always found booker easy 
yeah, oh, bye. well. Bye. Well, bye. Yes, but in and, terms of deciphering um, how their financials worked and what was important, I mean, it's really not that simple. And of course, retail is notoriously, like pharma, one of the hardest sectors to predict a forward trend. So it's because it involves people. I know. Lots of people. People, trends, eh? <laughs> what they, things, the things they want, the things they do, the money they have, the economy they operate in. Mm. Difficult stuff. It is enlightening, and we will continue to try and decipher this in the uh, the weeks and months ahead. Anyway, plenty more in the magazine this week. What have we got? We've got lots of results. Uh, we have uh, John Barron's Investment Trust column. We have a feature from Rosie on amateur advisors. Now, this is this is something quite interesting. She's actually not here this week, so we won't be able to, she can't talk about it and won't be talking about it tomorrow. But it's actually about the, the common problem of, of managing other people's money, whether that's your wife or your children or even your friends and the advice that you give them or if you, you, you are asked to become a trustee. Very common problem. Lots of pitfalls there and definitely something that many of our readers I know are involved in. Uh, so definitely worth a read there. All the usual comments. Uh, lots and lots in the news. You wrote some more news this week, didn't you? Uh, mm. Both of you. WPP, Inmarsat, Apple. Apple. Mm. Now that is simple, isn't it? Yeah. Can we understand Apple? Phones. Phones. <laughs> uh, we've got some stuff from Alex on the oil and gas sector that will all be wrapped up next week into a very long feature which we will talk about on next week's podcast Crikey another busy week thank you Harriet thank you Megan the amateur advisor pick it up in all good news agents and uh, we will be back again next week thanks for listening see you later